Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's conference championship week. It's teams have one last chance to make their case before the playoff committee. We've got key storylines, the expansionist silver bullet, and we wonder, if you did your job as vaguely as the college football playoff committee, would you still be employed? Next on The Three Technique. One man. Goodbye. have one final weekend of the normal college football schedule left before we get into bowl season and the playoff slate we're excited to break it down for you conference championship weekend where guys for the first time in a couple years it feels like there is quite a bit of drama on the line and we're excited to uh, break all of that down with you along with Trey Reeves Garrett Turney I'm Mitch Mason uh, a lot to get into with key storylines. We want to go over the playoff rankings before we get into those championship games, really just to set the stage. Uh, Trey, with the playoff rankings coming out on Tuesday night and uh, the chair, uh, chairman, Boo Corrigan, really saying a lot of nothing when asked about certain playoff rankings. What was your first reaction when you saw mostly one through eight revealed in the positions of Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama specifically? It was a ton of word salad, right? And those responses, it was pretty ridiculous. And the clip that was kind of going around today with Reese Davis asking a really weird question about who's better than all the rest teams or something like that. And then Boo Corrigan just listing random stats uh, was fantastic. But it's funny because the more I think about it, this lines up with how they've always done things, doesn't it? Like the undefeated teams are at the top. You can put them in whatever order you want. I think that's fair. You have it set up to where uh, Washington and Oregon is basically a play-in game for this week. And I think that's what a lot of people were expecting. And did anyone really think that Ohio State was going to drop below Texas and Alabama by losing one game? Because they've been up there all season. And when's the last time we saw someone drop that far down. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know what anyone else expected because that was, you know, kind of par for the course of what they've done all the way back since 2014. Garrett, we saw Florida State hang on to the fourth seed, uh, even though Tate Rodemaker made throwing the football look impossible against Florida. Were you surprised by the Knowles positioning or did they get that right? At this point, I don't think anything they do could surprise me. Um, I, I just go into the experience not expecting anything. Uh, I, I think that, look, look, when it comes to the way that they handle themselves, when it comes to their criteria, it's completely inconsistent from year to year. It's completely inconsistent from, you know, even week to week. Um, for me, I think that you have to have a question, between, and it's kind of the balance between better teams versus most deserving teams. They just haven't really given us that – that opportunity to say that they value it one way or the other reminder last year, 
TCU went into their conference championship game undefeated, lost, and still made it in. Mm -hmm. So by that logic, we shouldn't see any change in the rankings whatsoever uh, this week because we have four undefeated teams that could all lose their conference championship game and should still all be in. And, and so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the argument is for them in a lot of ways. I know that obviously I wouldn't pick it that way if that were to happen. Um, but but I do think that deserving has to be a thing that you look at. And I like the fact that they're giving Florida State a chance to say, you know what, we may not have the quarterback. We might get bounced hard in the first round. But, it, it you know, it, it's still their opportunity. They still get to go do it. Ohio State won the whole thing with their third-string quarterback a few years ago. Why not let Florida State give it a shot? Maybe they get the right guy at the right time. You know, a good – and there will be a few weeks of practice for that bowl game, so why not Why not go for it for the semifinal match? Maybe they can get something going and, and coach something up pretty good in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet has been sounding off uh, not only on the playoff show but also – uh, doing radio hits at the beginning of this week. I want to get to that in a second. But first, uh, pay the bills time, let you know that we're partnered with the Transfer Portal CFB, some of the best college football coverage that you can get from an independent media source. We are not the ones out there throwing out predictions, throwing out rumors uh, that turn into a pile of nothing uh, a day later. Uh, we just report the facts and uh, use our full team uh, to give you analysis on everything going on in the college football world. You can read our uh, full column headlines in review every single Monday during the season. And we'll uh, still have some publications going out as we go through bowl season and uh, into the off season as well. Of course, we're also partnered with our friends over at homefieldapparel.com. Use our code three tech pod for 15% off your entire first order. Uh, or you can also use the link that is over on our Twitter account. If you are a second, third, fourth time buyer, we talked about this on the coaching search episode as well. A lot of folks got in on the Black Friday deal for 20% off, but don't fret. If you miss that, you can still get 15% off your entire order. Again, use our code. It supports the show. Speaking of supporting the show, a lot of new Jimmys and Joes jumped on board over the last week or so. And we're really thankful to have you guys there. If you are discovering us for the first time through our Twitter account, uh, we post two times a week on YouTube and all podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple. Uh, and we would love to have you subscribe on all of those. We are pushing towards 1,500 Jimmys and Joes right now. And if you are brand new to our scene, we'd love to have you counted as a member of that. Leave us a review as well, if you could, over on Spotify or Apple. It really helps other people continue to discover us. Um, the, the growth, I was looking at our growth numbers this year. They've been really good and uh, growing. Uh, we added, I think, 70% new fans uh, that discovered us for the first time this year. We're glad to have you on board. And it's just a it's it's really fun to see uh, our passion project continue to grow. You guys continue to send us messages, send us, uh, you know, screenshots of, of your Spotify rap that were your top podcast. That, that means quite a bit to us. Um, so from uh, all of us here at the three tech pod, thank you. And we really appreciate the uh, the continued support. Well, and, it, and it's really nice to be able to use all that Texas oil money to make this podcast and to see so many of y'all support it. So we appreciate it. Boy, Garrett is uh, is deep in the comment section from a Twitter Twitter thread that I long ago muted. Uh, <laughs> I think it got 250 comments, 2 million interactions. Uh, yeah, that, I, that I was just that. Look, I, I hadn't looked at it in a couple of days. That was one of the most hilarious, egregious comments ever. I'm like, I want to see some of that Texas oil money for this podcast. And my favorite premise that kept coming back from that is like that we were trying to make AM look better by pointing out that we had a fan revolt. Like, in what way does that make AM look better? Like, if oh, we Garrett, were Garrett ranted on that last episode, I was just I was just putting together a timeline that that wasn't a pro anybody tweet. That was just a right. timeline. But they were like, "Oh, this makes AM look so much like better in this." No, it doesn't. Like, no, it does not. This is embarrassing. Also, do they think everyone who went to AM has oil money? I I would love. I don't. I I'd, I'd love to get really a swig of that oil money. Uh, back over to the playoff discussion, and, and this is kind of where our pre-snap notion leads us for today. I mentioned Kirk Herbstreet started going off on uh, on Barstool's podcast, I believe, saying that the college football playoff committee's job is to put the four best teams in. Now, my issue with Kirk, and Kirk gets heated sometimes in, in this particular podcast, he got very heated, 
My issue with Kirk is rant all you want, but until you propose what that best four teams actually means, there's no, we can't have a real discussion on that. On one hand, I don't think that the playoff committee really studies the games like everyone else does because the results speak for themselves. There are so many weeks where it just feels like, guys, I don't think you turned on the TV once or maybe you watched the ESPN highlight package, but you didn't watch that game. That is true. And that's been true for every year that the college football playoff uh, ranking has existed. It just doesn't feel like these guys actually watch the games. On the other hand, though, I don't know that I've heard anyone actually propose a real solution for an algorithm or some sort of formula that works. And Trey, I know in your header, you've got the the BCS formula season. That's how we got to the BCS in the first place, right? Like time is a flat circle. So my question for you is throw the algorithms, throw the formulas aside. I think there's one thing that we know for certain after this year's rankings This is the silver bullet in the expansionist case before the college football court. No matter how many years that we've had where maybe there were only two elite teams, to get one year like this year, once every blue moon, to me justifies having an eight or a 12-team playoff for the rest of all time. And I'd love your take on that because Oregon, Texas, Alabama, and Ohio State, in my mind, all deserve to play for a national title, regardless of if they're a conference champion or not. I feel like we're being robbed of one of the most entertaining postseasons of all time, given the limited format. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This is the year that could, you know, break the records for how awesome the 12 team playoff is right now. Just looking at what the matchups would be, you know, you'd have uh, the four undefeated teams right now. And then the fifth and sixth auto bids would be, I believe, Texas and Tulane based on the current ranking. So you'd be looking at, you know, Oregon Tulane, Ohio State Ole Miss, Texas versus Penn State, Alabama, Missouri. Like those are great first round matchups. Like I would love to see all of those games this year. And unfortunately, thanks to the Alliance, we don't get that. Uh, the Alliance had turned out to be nothing. We don't get that this year. But yeah, you're absolutely line. right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is the year that expansionists were pointing to, and it feels really good as an expansionist myself, and I know ourselves, yeah. to finally get the vindication with this year. Yeah, I think the big thing you got to keep asking yourself with this is just, again, going back to what Kirk was saying, he's saying it's their job to put the four best teams out there, but that's, I mean, insanely subjective on years like this. I mean, sometimes you get two teams that look like they're actually good, and then the rest of the field's like, yeah, I guess someone's got to win that conference. But this year, you can make a legitimate case for, I think, the top eight teams all having a legit shot at winning the whole thing. I think each of the top eight teams have an argument to say, you know, that if the ball bounces their way and if they, you know, just come out with the right game plan, they could come out and win the whole thing. And then, oh, by the way, you know, nine Missouri, 10 Penn State, 11 Ole Miss, each of those teams has a a, a path to being, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you have the ability to win on a weird day. Again, weird bounce of the ball, something like that. If everything goes right, maybe get a couple calls, you could find your way up through some upsets. And so when I, when I listen to Kirk and, and I'm starting to really get tired of what he says, because it seems like every year he just has a different narrative. He's saying, well, it's the four best teams. He's like, well, no, it's not the four best teams. You know, you got to put a resume out there because it's a conference champion. And it seems like what he's doing is he's always just saying, find a way to put Ohio state in there. And that might just be my own opinion, but that's that's what it seems like he keeps saying is just find some way to get, you know, the big brands, Ohio State or, you know, if it's Bama or if it's Texas or whoever else, just these big brands that would make it good for TV. It seems like he's just making the case to put some of them in there. And, and by the way, I think Texas is getting shafted in the current rankings because putting they Ohio are. State ahead of them almost tells me that there's nothing that Texas can do this week to find their way back into the playoff because – couple of these teams drop and Ohio state should be number four, according to the current rankings. And I, I just think that's egregious. And I, I don't think that that's fair. 
because I think that what Texas has done so far this season is more impressive than what Ohio State has done this season. And they should be sitting at six with an opportunity to jump in if the things fall their way. Well, so so hang on to that thought because I want to have a further discussion on that. Yeah, when yeah. we talk Texas and Oklahoma State, I definitely think the committee has either sent a very clear message or put themselves in a weird position with the way that they've ranked this. But we'll, we'll talk about that more later on. Last thing on Herb Street's comments, one thing that he said that stuck out to me, and I sympathize with this as, as a broadcaster myself, he said, you know, I'm one, I'm the one that calls these games week in, week out. I don't want to see a blowout in the playoffs, put the best four teams in. On one hand, I certainly sympathize with that, right? Like, Part of my job is driving all over the Lone Star State, calling Texas high school playoff games. I, I call for one of the best teams in the state of Texas, and a lot of those games are blowouts, even all the way through the playoff bracket. So I understand the frustration of the travel, all the prep, all the the details that go in, and then you're you know one team wins by thirty five. I, I get all of that, but on the other hand, you can't you you can't just put the best four teams in because then you throw the rule book completely out the window to me saying just put the best four teams in is completely subjective uh, subjective and he acknowledges mm-hmm. that so if you have a subjective ranking uh with no bumpers or guardrails on it whatsoever to me that invalidates the entire regular season if you're saying that ohio state still has a chance to be in the playoff above texas above alabama who are both playing for conference championships while Ohio State once again rides the pine at home after losing Michigan, that is not a healthy ecosystem. And so on one hand, I think that is proof in the pudding that Ohio State uh, needs to be still in the running in a 12-team playoff. On the other hand, though, I think it is a glaring error and a, and, and a, a big, um, big tip-off that nobody has the answer for what the best four teams are. It, it seems like Herb Street and other proponents of the best four teams are kind of throwing rocks from a glass house where as soon as you press them on what that actually means, what that would look like, and what sort of points determine what the best four teams are, nobody has an answer for that. So uh, to me, the only the only solution is expansion, which obviously we have going into next year. Before we get into the more thing. Well, yeah, so I was I was gonna say go go ahead if you got any final thoughts. Yeah, just like we're never gonna have that in college football, short of the hellscape being created where it's just one mega conference or two mega conferences like AFC, NFC light, which no one wants. We're never gonna have that in college football because of the dynamic scheduling, right? Like we're never going to have an objective way to compare these teams. So we needed an objective way to get teams in have a path to the playoff for all 128 teams, theoretically, in FBS. And we're going to have that in the 12-team playoff. And that's what I'm most excited about. It doesn't alienate anybody off the bat. doesn't alienate half the country as we create these bigger super conferences. And, yeah, it takes away this like insane idea that we can be objective about teams playing just vastly different schedules by some arbitrary eyeball test because that just doesn't work. Well, and, and if I might make a proposition, my idea is that, you know, we eventually change out the chair of the committee to Drew Carey because it sure seems like everything's made up and the points don't matter at a certain <laughs> point for these guys. I, it, we're just guessing a thousand points to Ohio State because, I don't know, it was close or something. Um, and, and we have you know, a really good a, wide receiver. Right. Yeah. We go, oh, we got to have Maserati Marvin in the playoffs. No, you just need a narrative for a couple of weeks so you can get through the Christmas season before they play these games. And right. so, you know, that's. It's obviously a little tongue-in-cheek proposition, but at this point, I'm just glad that we're moving to 12 because it gives this committee a larger sample size to accident their way into picking the right teams. You know, if you if you gave them a bigger sample size, maybe they get a, another opportunity to say, "Oh, well, 12. You know, we can just choose a bunch of teams out of a hat again, and maybe one of these will be the best teams." Dumbledore just awarding house points uh, at, <laughs> at the gun at the final feast is uh, certainly not conducive points to Michigan. Yeah, not conducive to long-term success. Uh, let us know. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, you can write in our, our Gmail as well, 3techpod at gmail.com. Uh, did the playoff committee get it right? What is your opinion on 
what the the format should look like going forward. Do you think 12 teams solves it? Are you still unhappy? We'd love to hear from you on this. Uh, Guys, we do have a slate of championship games to get to. One final full preview slate uh, for the 2023 season. So let's get into it. And we start with the play-in games. Uh, Presumably, both of these games would have a win and you're in as a conference championship mentality. Both teams alive, winner potentially takes all, and we start with the game that is on everybody's radar in the Pac-12. Vegas on Friday night. You can watch this on ABC. It is number five, Oregon, number three, Washington. The Ducks opened as a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Garrett, that seems disrespectful to Washington, and yet all of us were very, very hesitant, shall we say. A lot of thought went into our picks against the spread. Why is Oregon favored by a comically large number? Well, I mean, you have the initial shock value and all of us sitting around going, whoa, and then we all kind of sat there. If you're like me, you sat there and you went, well, hang on a second. There might be some merit to this because, you know, I've been saying this for weeks now at this point, and I'll continue to make my case here. I think Oregon looks like the much better team since the game that they lost against Washington. When you look at the way both teams have played, Washington has played a lot of really close games. A lot of common opponents, they've beaten by, you know, a couple of points, whereas, you know, Oregon's gone out and beaten those teams by a couple of touchdowns. And, you know, when you just look at what they've been able to do offensively, um, it looks like they're a lot more in rhythm. Defensively, Oregon, I mean, just dominating the Lions of scrimmage. Uh, they, they only gave up like 50-something yards to Oregon State uh, the, the last game of the season. And that, that's a team that runs the football extremely well. They dominated the line of scrimmage there. Um, And so I think that when you look at this matchup, you know, there's going to be a lot of different ways that you can try to judge this. Are you going to go just Bo Nix versus Michael Penix, right? That's kind of the casual take, you know, just look at the quarterbacks. That's about it. But I start to look around the field and I say, you know, there's a couple of running backs in in Oregon's backfield that I think could be a real difference maker. There's, you know, if you're looking at the whole Troy Franklin uh, versus Roma Dunze, you know, matchup. That, that's two wide receivers that are going to have to go head for head. Whoever has the bigger day makes the better plays. You're probably watching some stuff go on there that, that that's going to tell you the, you know, outcome of this matchup. And, and additionally, looking at the defenses, right? Washington, the defense has been solid, but has is, is kind of disappeared in, in moments. Um, Oregon's defense, I think, has been a lot better down the stretch. So when I look at this nine and a half points, I honestly kind of think it's fair. You know, you got to remember this matchup earlier in the season was at Washington. Uh, Neutral site field is, I think, factoring into a lot of this. And back in that game, a thing that a lot of people forget, they failed to convert several fourth downs, did Oregon. Yeah. If they had just taken the points, kicked the field goal, not turned it over in, you know, massively plus territory for Washington, they would have put themselves in a better position to win down the stretch. And that last second field goal that barely missed wouldn't have been such a big deal. Trey, I I go to the metrics for this uh, to understand, okay, what is what is Vegas seeing besides just America's desire to bet on Oregon for, for much of what Garrett said, right? Oregon has looked like the better team. Washington seemingly has fallen asleep at the wheel during numerous conference games this season. But I go to the metrics, and obviously these – Two offenses are incredible, right? Oregon has the second best total offense. Washington is a top 12 offense. Defensively, though, the numbers are jarring. Uh, Oregon, no matter which way you slice it, is a top uh, 50 defense. They average to be about a top 25 defense. Washington is none of that. And in fact, they have one of the worst passing defenses in the country. It's 124th. But you dive into the numbers a little bit more. And I think there's a chance that Washington keeps it close, specifically enforcing turnovers. Yeah, Washington is the classic bad but opportunistic defense, right? Like, they're going to give up a ton of yards. They're probably going to give up a ton of points, but they're going to get a few key plays every single game that's going to keep them in the game and help swing the tide in their favor. They have 15 interceptions this year. They have a really talented – it doesn't look it when you're the 124th-ranked passing defense yardage-wise – They've got talented guys back there yeah. that can make plays, take uh, get some takeaways, and really shift the game in their favor. So I'll also say that down this stretch run, they've been winning with the defense. They have not won yeah. 
by blowing people out with the offense like they were at the beginning of the year. They've completely flipped, and now they are winning with defense. Michael Penix has been in a little bit of a slump over the last month or so, and the defense has picked up the slack. It had, they've been aided by the elements at times. They've been aided by opposing quarterbacks making you know, some silly mistakes that I don't think Bo Nix will make, but sometimes the, the Washington defense can bait you into that. So it'll be really interesting. You know, obviously Oregon's defense is going to be one of the better units that's on the field. They might be the best unit that's on the field. And that's, you know, saying something when you look at these two offenses, but I love that we have Dan Lanning, a defensive guy going up against Kalen DeBoer, an offensive guy, two of the best in the country on their respective sides of the ball. And they're going to have that chess match back and forth all day. It's just going to be fantastic to watch. I can't see what happens. What are the X factors, uh, or maybe it's just one X factor that determines which way you guys are leaning. What, uh, what kind of swayed your pick Garrett? Let's start with you. Yeah. So my, my decision-making here is entirely based on Oregon's defense, right? My X factor is Oregon's defense. It's the fact that, these teams are the top two passing offenses in the country. This is one and two respectively. And when you look at what they're able to do, both quarterbacks are going to be able to do what they want to do, but Bo Nix has been hot. Bo Nix has been on fire and Michael Penix has gone a little bit cold and it's a bad time for him to be going cold because this is a really good Oregon defense. It's a good Oregon defense against the pass. It's especially good against the run. And if you put Washington down, right, if they're down a couple of scores early, that's, I think, chaos scenario for them, right? Because then the the very good Oregon pass rush gets to get a chance to just, you know, put their ears back and go. And I, I think that's a dangerous place for Washington to be. Um, additionally, and I want to point this out on the turnover part, Washington's extremely good at getting turnovers. Bo Nix has thrown two interceptions all season. Neither of them were in the Washington game. Um, and, and so it's it's maybe maybe they get him, right? Maybe they go get a pick. At this point in the season, I don't think it's there. Um, I, I am. I don't know if we want to get into predictions at this point, but yep. uh, I am going to go ahead and pick Oregon to cover this. Uh, I'm going to pick Oregon to cover the nine and a half spread, uh, specifically because I think Bo Nix is that level of good, and he's going to be able to take care of the football, put his team in a position to win, and be dynamic enough uh, to come out on top of this. I think it's a big win. I think they know they need it too. I think they don't want to leave any doubt in the committee's mind that they belong in the and they belong in the playoff discussion, uh, and they belong in when they make that decision on Sunday. So I, I think this is the Bo Nix Heisman moment. I, I think you're going to see one of those in this game. One of the just crazy escapes, throws across his body, Troy Franklin downfield, bang, there it is, right? And, and I, I think that you're going to see something like that in this game. And so I'm going to pick Oregon minus the nine and a half take care of business and get in the playoff. Trey, I feel, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I feel like Oregon is probably the better team as, as a whole. Right. And, and I want to, I want to reward that this season. So I am going to roll with the ducks, but I feel like we also have to give credit to Washington for going 12 and 0 for that survivor mentality, for finding a way to win week in and week out, no matter how the game goes. That's what's got me taking Washington plus the nine and a half. I'm, I'm curious what swung it that way for you. Yeah, but I said it on the recap show. You don't go 12 and 0 by accident. So yeah. the, this is a team that knows how to win. I think they're going to keep this one close. I think they're going to get be up and ready to go for this one and probably play with a little more urgency than you've seen in quite some time. Maybe since that last Oregon game, like you, we can't overlook the fact that, you know, it's been a letdown in the quality of opponent since uh, that other than playing USC. So, you know, I am really interested to see, I think this is going to come down to which electric wide receiver, Troy Franklin of Oregon or Roma Dunze from Washington is just a bigger mess mismatch problem, right? Like who steps up and makes the bigger plays, keeps the drive going and, you know, keeps their offense on the field when they need it the most. I think Washington's going to score too many points for this to be a 10 point game. I don't think Washington goes away lightly. So, I, I'm leaning back and forth. I do think Oregon wins this one outright. I've been sticking to my guns and saying Washington gets it done week in and week out. I'm going to tilt there and say Oregon wins outright, but I do think it's a really fun back and forth game on a Friday night that Washington covers. Should be electric. It is a can't miss game. If you are a college football fan Friday night in prime time, definitely make sure you tune in for that one. 
SEC championship game is Saturday afternoon. It's in Atlanta. It's on CBS. Number one, Georgia. Five and a half point favorites against number eight, Alabama. Guys, I want you to throw out rivalry week for just a moment. Both teams closed this season in dominating fashion. Sands their win against Georgia Tech and the fourth and Milrow miracle against Auburn. Both quarterbacks are playing the best ball of their season, particularly Jalen Milrow, who obviously wasn't even the starting quarterback during the USF game. Benched at one point. We had our doubts about Carson Beck coming into this season. He has answered those, and he's turned Georgia into one of the most prolific passing attacks in the country. The million-dollar question for this game, can Alabama get in to the playoffs with a win? They're ranked eighth. That would lead you to believe that they probably can't, and yet their resume should, in theory, be able to carry them into the top four if they beat the number one team in the country right? It would be the best win of the season and probably the best win of the last two seasons. I know we look at each season in a vacuum, but it would easily be the best win of the season. If they're able to knock it off, no one would be able to match that win for win. And it would really come down to, does the committee value that more than a loss to Texas back in September? Probably because I think, you know, assuming Texas takes care of business against Oklahoma state, I know we'll talk about that one in a little bit, but assuming they take care of business, it would come down to that decision. And of course we don't have the arbitrary or we do, we don't have the non-arbitrary ranking mechanism to figure that out. So just come down to how they're feeling Sunday morning, I guess. Garrett on the other side of the coin, if Alabama wins is Georgia out with a 12 and one record and a loss in the sec championship. We've, Seen in past years, losing in the conference championship game doesn't necessarily penalize you. I'm thinking Georgia from years past. I'm thinking TCU. Heck, I'm thinking Notre Dame from the COVID season. But you're supposed to throw past seasons out the window and with hungry, hungry hippos behind you in five, six, seven, and eight with Alabama, would Georgia really get knocked out of the playoff with a loss? I don't really see a way that Georgia misses the playoff at this point. I think because they're number one, because it's Georgia, because of the previous seasons, which you're not supposed to think about, but the committee clearly does. Um, I I just think there's no way that Georgia can actually miss the playoff at this point, you know, outside of just absolute chaos scenario where, you know, there's a lot of other things happening and and they just find their way out. I actually kind of think on the flip side, I don't really see a way for Bama in. I, I still think there's too many teams to jump at this point that, uh, again, outside of chaos scenario where all the undefeated teams lose and it's just time to you know, turn the whole thing on its head, I actually don't see a way for Bama in uh, without a lot of help. And so while I do think that this is kind of, in a sense, you know, a play-in game uh, in the sense that both teams, I think, need to win this to feel 100% certain, um, I, I just don't see a way that Georgia misses. They've been one of the best teams in the country all year. Uh, they've been on top of it. They, they've been, you know, resoundingly beating teams the schedule is there so um yeah I, I just don't see a way that they leave georgia off especially given what we've seen in the past with them not you know penalizing that number one team uh if they lose or or not even penalizing some of those top teams that are you know 12 and one with the conference championship loss as long as they're ranked high enough and the committee thought highly enough of them i think that's kind of where georgia is now This is where, to me, the ranking of six through eight is so crucial because on paper, Alabama should have a chance to get in. They absolutely should be rewarded for the best win of the college football season. And yet, because Ohio State is still ahead of both Texas and Alabama, and we'll talk about this more with the Longhorns in a second as well, it feels like the system is not set up to allow the tide in. And that's where I kind of go back to uh, the there's no right formula. It felt like we all kind of agreed. It was an unspoken agreement that last Saturday, the game was an elimination game. Whoever lost between Michigan and Ohio State was going to be left at home come playoff time or at least kind of disregarding absolute chaos in championship week and yet that's not the way that it's set up 
based on these rankings. Gus Johnson said as much off the top of the broadcast. He called it right. the first playoff game. I, the, and, and look, obviously he's good at what he does. He's not an official playoff committee member who gets to make that call, but that's the way it generally looks. And I just, with all these other good teams, I don't really see how Ohio State's still in the mix. Um, I, I think it's kind of disrespectful to not have them at eight and then slide everybody else up. But right. I mean, at this point, by putting them at six, you're telling Texas and Alabama, well, oh, well, bummer sucks you're not going to make it in because we think that ohio state's better than you like what's ohio state going to do next week to prove they're not better than texas or alabama nothing because they sit at home and so i i just don't i don't get the logic of it. of course it's the playoff committee so there may not be very much logic of it but it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me and it it's i don't know it, it really takes away something from those games that are supposed to have some extra stakes yeah trade any 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 thoughts on that? I mean, you know, we, we've seen them jump leapfrog idle teams before, right? I go back to the very first college football playoff rankings where Ohio State leapfrogs in yep. to the college football playoff. Um, last year as well, you know, Ohio State hanging on to a spot. So who knows? <laughs> like, who knows? Like, I, I'm much more sense. excited about this game on the field than I am the implications for the playoff yeah. because yeah. – it's going to come down to people sitting in a room and just, you know, who knows what they're going to come up with. The the gripe is with the internal logic of the committee. Absolutely. There's Absolutely. just no internal logic. And it, it makes us sit here and we're talking about, you know, while we should be talking about Alabama and Georgia being two legacy brands, two massive programs and all they can do, we kind of have that overlying, oh, well, you know, is Bama going to make the playoff? Do they even care? What's the motivation? Like, we're still talking about the SEC championship game here. Like, there's great players on both sides. It's one of the best football games we're going to see all year. I To me, it's just – it doesn't make a ton of sense. You would have – if you're Alabama, you would have a win over the number one team in the country. You'd have a loss to the number six team in the country by 10 versus Ohio State, who uh, does not have – as great a quality win as Alabama, and they would have a six-point loss to the number two team in the country. Like to me, I just don't know how that math comes out in favor of Ohio State. But Trey, you're right. Leapfrogging happens every year, which inherently doesn't make sense to me. If if we can just leapfrog the next week, then why why didn't we rank it in the the order of operations? Right. Like if you were just going to push the number five team or the number six team in. Why on earth is there a team uh, that's inactive ahead of them, right? Um, it, it just doesn't doesn't quite make sense to me. But what does make sense is X-Factors for this game between Alabama and Georgia. Tide definitely have a puncher's chance in this. And there are folks that are picking Alabama to do what they did a couple of seasons ago and march into Atlanta and beat the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia is five and a half point favorites, as I mentioned off the top. Uh, to me, guys, I'm looking once again at the turnover margin. Alabama takes care of the football at a at a pretty good rate. They're plus seven in the turnover category. Georgia, meanwhile, uncharacteristically has turned the football over a little bit this year. They're at a dead zero turnover margin. So, uh, Garrett, when you look at Georgia having the more consistent offense, Alabama maybe having uh, a hot defense right now, who do you like and why? Well, for me, I think Georgia's going to win this game, but I am going to pick Alabama to cover. I think this one's real tight, real back and forth. When I look at Georgia, I'm seeing Carson Beck kind of come into his own, right? He's he's definitely becoming that quarterback for the dogs, right? He, he's getting there, and, and he's played really well on the backstretch of this season. The unfortunate thing is that, and you know, obviously last week you, you said take the, the rivalry week, out of it for a second, but I'm going to take it into account. He didn't play his best game against Georgia Tech, and Alabama certainly has a better defense than Georgia Tech does. And so when I look at you know this matchup, I think establishing the run for Georgia is going to be critical, and we need the X factor play and their receiving core. I don't think that you know just by himself, Carson Beck's going to get to stand up in the pocket and have plenty of time to read the defense, and he's going to have to throw some balls into tight windows and complete some passes to move chains. And so I think that's where you're at with Georgia on the Alabama side. Jalen Milrow's becoming a, a quarterback in front of our eyes. He was very much a runner that could also kind of sometimes pass at the beginning of the season. And over the course of the season, the, the job that Nick Saban has done to get him 
in a spot where he can win, uh, I think is remarkable. One of the best coaching jobs I've seen to take this quarterback who at the beginning of the year couldn't throw much more than a deep ball and to put him in a position where he's dropping dimes on fourth and goal from the 31 to, to you know, extend the game, to win the game against Auburn, to win the Iron Bowl, and make some really good throws down the stretch of this season. I'm really impressed by what he can do as a weapon. I'm a little nervous about his supporting cast. I wonder if the weight of the entire Georgia defense comes down on Jalen Milrow. Are there guys next to him that can step up? They have the athletes, but I haven't seen it consistently enough to believe that they'll be able to do it. Uh, and so for me, when I look at this, and I'll go ahead and flip over to our predictions real quick, but I've got Bama plus five and a half uh, specifically because I, I think they're going to be able to push it a little bit and push it a little bit. I think Milrow, for some reason, he just has that winner's gene in him. And I think he's going to keep Bama close, but I think the dogs are just a little bit too much. I think there's going to be one too many mistakes, one too many errant throws, maybe an interception on the last drive that, you know, seals it for Georgia, something like that. Uh, to where Bama covers this one, but Georgia wins by two or three. I agree. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think this is a closer game, uh, but I do think Georgia ultimately pulls it out. I'll take Bama plus the points as well. Uh, Trey is riding with the dogs minus five and a half. All right, let's roll over to the Texas Longhorns. And Garrett, what on earth are we supposed to do with Texas? You and I and, and Trey, as soon as he joins back, are all of the belief that Texas uh, absolutely got the short end of the stick here in the rankings. There is no way that they should be behind Ohio State, uh, even if they do ultimately leapfrog the Buckeyes. It just makes no sense for the Longhorns to be at seven where they currently reside. Uh, they take on the 18th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys on Saturday. Texas is a 15-point favorite. This is a Saturday morning game in Jerry World. You can watch it on ABC. Main question that I have uh, for you, Garrett, does Texas need style points this weekend or is simply winning and hoping for a loss ahead of them? And it could literally be as simple as uh, Florida State losing, for instance. Is that enough to get them in or are, are we saying that they're just second in line behind the Buckeyes? If if you're asking me to rank my top four, just the best teams that I think exist right now, I would tell you right now it's going to be Michigan, Georgia, Oregon, Texas. Those are my top four. I think Texas is solidly the fourth best team. I think that's how the ranking should be. I don't know what the committee thinks. I have no idea what they're sitting back there thinking. Now, style points, from my perspective, they don't have much else to prove. They've won. You give teams credit for winning. Uh, and, and though they haven't been convincing in all of their games down the stretch, they sure as heck beat the crap out of Texas Tech, and <laughs> they look pretty dang good doing it. And you know, Ames, you know, Ames gives them problems to win by ten. I, I think is you know good enough. It wasn't necessarily convincing. I wouldn't say it's a stellar effort, but it was you know good enough. Um, and, and you know, there's some close games down the stretch, and Quinn was hurt and everything else. So you take all of it into account. I think Texas has played some pretty dang good football down the stretch. Um, th that being said, the committee probably will put them in a position where, yeah, they got to convince us if they beat Oklahoma state by four or five, I think you really got to start to ask the question like, Oh, are they, are they in trouble of getting left out for Ohio state? Uh, because, you know, I think that, I think this is the committee's way of saying, you know, we're, we're going to make Texas prove it against Oklahoma state, right? If they only win by a couple, then they'll let Ohio State slide up if that's the case. If they win by a bunch, then you can say, oh, yeah, well, conference champions, so we're going to do that anyways. So they, so the committee kind of gets to have their cake and eat it too. I think the Longhorns are the fourth best team in the country right now, and, and they don't need style points in my book. But yeah. unfortunately, the reality is they probably need to win this one and cover to get it done. I, I agree. I, I think they're in an awkward position. Again, I, I don't think that they should be left out in the case of a Florida State loss. We'll talk about the Knowles coming up next. Uh, to me, this game comes down to not if Texas wins, but by how many. Mm -hmm. uh, Ollie Gordon has been a, a difference maker. He's probably going to be named the best running back in the country uh, here in a couple of days. I think he, he absolutely was given the big 12 offensive player of the year, which I think is extremely yes. well-deserved. Yes, he was had five touchdowns in the season finale 
against BYU. Maybe the most uh, the most electric player in the conference, uh, based off of what we saw from him up in Stillwater this year. But Texas has a very, very good running defense. And uh, listen, if this was in Stillwater, I might be tempted to take the pokes outright. There's a little bit of magic up there, and they certainly have Texas's number over the last couple of years. But guys, Oklahoma State wins my Jekyll and Hyde team of the year. Uh, I mean, they they took care of business um, against the Oklahoma Sooners in the final version of Bedlam, and then they go on the road and get rolled by Central Florida. Uh, they struggle against BYU. I, I just don't know which team uh, is, is going to show up for Oklahoma State. So I'll take Texas, who is motivated, maybe a little angry as well at where they are in the playoff rankings. I'll take the the Texas Longhorns to cover this one. I'm going to take Oklahoma State. I think too much offense and too not little defense, but we've just seen a lot of lapses in Texas defense, especially when they get up big in games. So, I mean, maybe they put that to rest last week against Texas Tech. I don't know. They won by 50, and that's huge. But um, even if you dive into the stats of that one, it was a lot of you know self-inflicted things from Texas Tech. So I think Oklahoma State's going to be a little bit more competent, keep this one close. And weird things always seem to happen in the Big 12 championship game. So we'll just uh, throw in the juju a little bit too. Well, and the fact that in the last, you know, 10 matchups, I think Oklahoma State's something like eight and two. And so it's kind of a crazy number. I know Texas is a lot better now than they had been in recent years, but that is kind of a weird thing. Oklahoma State seems to have their number. Also, unlike previous years, not a matchup, you know, that that we're, you know, getting, you know, again, we're getting this again for the the first time this year, typically the round robin, uh, not in this case. Um, Look, uh, when I, I went back and forth in this game, I think Texas is a good team. I, I think that they're going to do what they want to on offense. For me, the question has to do with how much are they going to be on the schedule? Uh, or Sorry, not on the schedule, but how much are they going to be on the field? How much, when you look at Texas's offense, are they going to actually have in time of possession because of Ollie Gordon? Right, Ollie Gordon has been an absolute force, and that Texas defense has been actually pretty dang good at stopping the run. And so, to me, something's got to give. Uh, looking at it for... Uh, these two teams, Oklahoma State averaging 167 on the ground per game, Texas giving up 85. So this is my something's got to give, right? Uh, either Oklahoma State's going to run the ball, and if they do, I think they keep this one close. I don't really see a way for Oklahoma State to win this game. You know, obviously anything could happen, but I don't really see a path for Oklahoma State to win this one. But to keep it close means that they're running the football effectively and keeping that Texas offense off the field. I think that's probably what happens. And so I'm also going to go Oklahoma State plus the 14 and a half in this case. Keep it closer, maybe lose by 10, I don't know, maybe a touchdown, something like that. Um, And and just keep it close enough to keep it under that number and and never quite let Texas get comfortable here. Even with that said, I still think Texas deserves a spot in the playoff. Even if they, if all they do is win their conference. Outside of, you know, everybody being undefeated conference champions ahead of them, I do think Texas deserves to factor into that somehow. I'm very quickly trying to find my Big 12 predictions for this season. I had Oklahoma State at 8-4. and four. I think they go 9-3, and three, right? Was their, their, final, their final conference yeah, ranking? Nine and I, three. Uh, yeah, but getting to where they did, and listen, Ollie Gordon, we, we talked about him a little bit in the preseason. I put the onus more on the quarterback. Uh, of Alan Bowman. I'm glad to see that he ended up having a decent season, but there is no doubt that offense rolls through Ollie Gordon. I'm excited to see this. I think it could be a close game. Maybe Texas pulls away late, but there's no doubt they've got their hands full uh, when it comes to the ground game that the Pokes are going to throw. Last two Power Five conference games, and we can roll through these a little bit more quickly. Uh, let's touch on Michigan and Iowa. Uh, guys, I don't know that uh, this game is necessarily in doubt. Uh, it was a 24-and-a-half-point spread when I put this together. In fact, the betting interest was not necessarily coming in on either side of that line. It was coming in on Iowa's first half line, which, Trey, do you know what that opened at? For all those 0.5, 0.5. It was so bad. It kept me from even being able to say it out loud. Uh, (laughs) Iowa at one point was favored to be shut out 
in the first half. Now, the money has come in on the other side of that. Iowa is now uh, certainly the betting favorite, is that they will score at least a point in the first half of that ball game. Good for One Iowa. Come on, score a point One point safety time. gets it done. I, I think <laughs> the drama in this game is not who wins, but what the final score is. And guys, I'm going to say that we call this a Christmas miracle. Iowa scores 10 points in this game. Final score of 24 to 10, Michigan over the Hawkeyes. I'll take Iowa plus the candy. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I'm believing in something. I'm going to take Iowa plus the candy as well. I Maybe it's the defense. Maybe it's, you know, the uh, just formula that Illinois gave last, last year against Michigan and Ann Arbor before they put, took on Ohio State. I think that Iowa can keep this close for some reason, and no one else in the world is going to think that they can, but they will. I certainly don't think that they can. Michigan currently giving up 10 points per game on the season. So uh, I guess technically speaking, Iowa could score 10. I, I just really, average. yeah, just hit the average. Why not? Um, that is best in the country currently for scoring defense. So shout out Wolverines. Um, look, I, I picked this one. I'm kind of tongue in cheek here. I think Michigan covers this by the half. Uh, and I don't think that they turn around. The only way I think Iowa ends up covering this in some way is if Michigan's third string quarterback throws a pick six that barely gets in under that number somehow. I think Michigan's going to put up another ugly effort against them. I, I think Michigan's legitimately trying to gun for the number one spot. You know, I, I think at this point you have something to play for. You're playing, you know, for the better matchup in the first round. And, and you know, if you get that mm. opportunity – that that's a big deal, right? This is a Michigan team that hasn't advanced yet, despite making the playoff a couple of years in a row. They still haven't advanced to that championship game. So getting that, you know, number one overall, being able to play maybe a slightly worse opponent in your first round gives you a better chance of getting there. And I think they're going to throw everything they can at it. Also, Harbaugh back on the sidelines. He finally is free from his self-imposed punishment. Sure. Um, and so <laughs> shout out to Harbaugh for getting back. I think Michigan's going to win this one real big. More interesting matchup here is Louisville and Florida State. It seems like nobody believes that Florida State is actually going to hang on to this fourth playoff spot. And heck, if they do, they're probably going to get shellacked by Georgia, not to rehash that conversation we had off the top. But still, Florida State, two and a half point favorites when the line opens this is Saturday night, the ACC championship game. It's in Charlotte on ABC. My main question is. Is Louisville's defense good enough to whittle this down into a stalemate? We we saw that happen last week. The the Knowles broke through late against the Florida Gators, but in that first half, Tate Ronemaker made throwing the ball downfield look impossible. Uh, they've got Ferraris out wide and Johnny Wilson and, and Keon Coleman, but you got to have someone to drive those Ferraris, right? And, and Ronemaker was not the guy. I think it shook America's confidence. In the Knowles. Meanwhile, though, Louisville, they're coming off a loss to Kentucky. They also lost to Pitt earlier in the season. So while uh, that has been a tremendous turnaround, a great story, Louisville's not exactly been the poster child for consistency this year. Garrett, who you taking in this game with such a tight line? I'm going to go ahead and take Florida State to cover that number. I'm going to take them to win. And I actually think they win this one comfortably. Um, I, I think you just got to go ahead and say the this team knows what it needs to do. It knows what everyone's saying about them, that everyone can say, oh, you don't listen to the news. You don't listen to the guys on TV. Everyone listens. Everyone knows what they're saying about them. They are saying that they're not one of the four best teams, despite being undefeated, despite running the table. And despite, by the way, bouncing back in a real gutty way after losing your all world quarterback. And, and so when I look at this, I think they know what they need to do. And I think they're going to put a great effort around whoever ends up being quarterback for them, whether they you know, they find success with the backup or third string or whoever else they need to throw out there. Somebody's going to get it done. Uh, and, and I believe that Florida State's going to be able to put up a pretty comfortable win because they know they need to get in. Now, what's their ceiling? I don't know. Uh, do they beat Georgia or Michigan, whoever gets that top spot? Yeah, I don't think so. But at least for this moment, I think they can put up a good enough effort to get in and that in itself i think is is a massive massive step in the right direction given what they've had to go through this season yeah and people also forget that florida state has an elite defense or top 20 in in total defense 
way up there in scoring defense as well. And people forget that it's a two-sided coin, right? There's there's mm-hmm. 21 other starters out there for Florida State that can make plays. 11 of those are on the defensive side of the ball. And last I checked, they're doing pretty okay over there. So I think Florida State wins this one, goes to the playoff, and just kind of flips everybody off on the way. That's kind of naysaying them right now. And good for them. Guys, I'm going to believe in something this week. Uh, aside from the Christmas miracle and, and Iowa covering the spread, I'm going to believe that Florida State finds a way to get it done. Now, certainly easier said than done. Louisville has the 12th-ranked rushing defense in the country. They've got all kinds of playmakers on their offensive side as well, and they're averaging almost three sacks per game. I think if they could rattle Rodemaker early, that's their key to success. If they blitz all day... I think Florida State is in trouble. A lot is going to be put on that offensive line, which is frankly just an average offensive line in this game. But I'm going to believe in my Knowles coin and Mike Norvell, uh, and I think Florida State finds a way to secure that fourth seed. Not what Texas fans are going to want to hear. I understand that, but this is still a very good Florida State team. I know Jordan Travis going down is a big is a big negative for that team. But they've got a lot of pieces, a lot of experience around them. I think Florida State is still just the better team. I'm going to honor that in this game. Group of five champs. And let's uh, let's roll through these somewhat quickly. We've got interesting matchups. Uh, no doubt about that. Let's start with the game that has maybe the most on the line. Uh, we'll, we'll see when we talk Conference USA here in just a second as well. But the American Championship game, SMU at number 22, Tulane. The Green Wave is three-point favorites. They're at home in this game. Now, the the question, and I hadn't seen anything uh, right before we hit record, is the status of Preston Stone. Nobody is willing to speculate on it, but guys, that injury looked bad. It was confirmed to be an ankle injury. Even if it's just a sprain, six days, not enough in my mind to heal that injury and have SMU's starting quarterback on the road. I think even if it's a neutral, even if all things are equal, even if Stone is in this game, I'm still leaning to Lane. But does the quarterback injury completely shift things in favor of the green wave in your mind? I mean, it it makes things a lot tougher for SMU. And I know Preston Stone's going to give it a go. This is why he came to SMU. He thought that he could help lead them to a championship of some kind. And the fact that he's not going to get that chance to finish that job most likely is really sad, but Kevin Jennings is still a capable backup. He's stepped yeah. in and played well at times this year. So, um, you know, I think SMU will still move the ball. Tulane's defense is going to cause a lot of problems, but SMU has a lot of talent. I think Tulane wins this game, but it's a close one. Yeah, I, I'm picking Tulane as well. For me, the injury is pretty much your entire story. Um, that they had the fifth best scoring offense on the year. And the large part of that is because of Preston Stone. This is not to take anything away from Kevin Jennings, obviously very good backup, very capable backup, but I just think this offense is something else with Preston Stone out there. They got plenty of playmakers, uh, Jalen Knighton, obviously LJ Johnson, Kamar Whedon. I mean, they've got in- incredible backs, um, amazing wide receivers, my gay RJ Maryland. I, I love this dude. He's, he's the tight end. He's a matchup nightmare. Scores touchdown. He scored seven on the season. Um, just just a touchdown machine right now. But without Preston Stone out there, I just don't think the offense hums quite as much. And I think you're going to need it to because look, Tulane has kind of been here. They've been the established team. You know, Michael Pratt obviously has been the better uh, of of the two quarterbacks in the last couple of years. Obviously, he's he's more established. He's been there. Went toe to toe with Caleb Williams in the Cotton Bowl. And, and so I think I like the experience more on the Tulane side to get it done in a tough spot. I, I would have picked SMU if Preston Stone was 100%, but without him, give me the experience, give me the better uh, of the two teams in Tulane. Hey, Kevin Jennings won a state championship for South Oak Cliff, uh, stand-up yes, Golden Bears. Uh, local fans know how big that was for the uh, the Dallas area. SMU, it's interesting to note, even if they do win this game, they're not guaranteed the New Year's Six Bowl because Liberty is ranked... 24th. So ahead of them in the rankings, assuming Liberty wins, they would be in position and SMU wins. Liberty would be in position uh, rankings wise to go to the New Year's Six Bowl game. So SMU, you need a win this weekend. You also need 
help from New Mexico State, which is our next game. Liberty, 11-point favorites in the Conference USA Championship. This is a Friday night game in Lynchburg, home game for Liberty. Caden Salter versus Diego Pavia, one of the best group of five quarterback matchups you're going to see all season. Both players up for the Colt Brennan Award in the Transfer Portal CFB rankings. That's the Heisman to a group of five player. Which way are you leaning in this game? I'm making my pick somewhat seriously, but also to troll Joe from Longview just a little bit. I, I'm leaning New Mexico State. Uh, Diego Pavia obviously got the big win against Auburn a couple weeks ago. Guys, they've won eight straight coming out of their bye week in, in late September. Like it is an Kill. impressive run for Jerry Kill and company. So um, I'm looking through college football reference right now because I don't think I thought this was true. And I'm checking one more time just to make sure, but I don't think New Mexico state has uh, won a conference championship since 1978. So this will be the first time since 1978, if they can pull it off. Wow. How about that? Uh, I mean, they're not going to. I think I'm going to Liberty Biberty here. Trey, you got to be nicer to Joe, right? If you're not nice to Joe, then nobody on this podcast is because I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, messing with this Buckeyes on a weekly basis just to do it. Um, no, I'm going to Liberty on this one. I'm taking Joe's side this time. They're the better team. Um, obviously, I know that you're kind of picking the long shot there. Um, but yeah, Liberty is the better team, I think. And, and I think they're going to take care of business. Uh, uh, Caden Salter has been fantastic. You'd have my vote. And Colt Burn Awards. So, so let's let, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap up a really good season. Go play a New Year's Six game. Well, the best part about me picking New Mexico State is I can just turn around and tell Joe I was just saving the graphic jinx from. True. The hey, there you go. There you go. Good point. I get that. My can't beat. <laughs> Liberty by seventeen at home uh, is uh, is my prediction there. The MAC Championship, Miami of Ohio against all odds after losing. Uh, Brett Gabbert as their quarterback still makes it to the conference championship game. They'll take on Toledo, who is seven point favorites Saturday morning in Detroit. Uh, Penny Boone, guys, you got to watch this kid. The Toledo running back, 1,359 yards, 13 touchdowns. He's going up against a rushing defense that gives up over 130 on the ground per game. Daquan Finn, one of the best quarterbacks at the group of five level as well. I think it's too much offense for uh, the Red Hawks. Give me Toledo to win this one comfortably. I'm right there with you, Mitch. It's all the offense for me. I'm taking Toledo as well. Guys, this was a really, really tight game the first time around. Uh, I really like what Miami was able to do, kind of, you know, almost coming back that one. Um, Look, I think what Miami's able to do this season um, after the injury, being able to kind of bounce back, Avion Smith really stepping up to the plate. Um, I'm going with Miami, Ohio. I'm going to take them to win this one second time around. Um, it, it, again, it was tight the first time around. I just, I, I got a feeling they're going to pull it off, uh, and pull off a, a really, really nice season for the Red Hawks this year. Mountain West conference championship game. How about this Boise state lets Andy Avalos go. And then they go and make the championship game with an interim head coach. They play UNLV Saturday afternoon in Las Vegas. It's a home game for the run and Rebs under first year head coach, Barry Odom. Uh, who, by the way, just had his son Garrett commit to UNLV. So for those thinking Barry Odom might be on the move, maybe going back to Houston, I don't think so. I don't think his son would be (laughs) committing to to a program that that his dad's about to walk right out the door on. Who knows? Uh, But uh, Boise State in this game is two-point favorites, despite being seven and five, certainly having the worst record. This is a game between two offenses that move the ball in very different, uh, very different styles, right? Uh, you've got Ashton Jonte for Boise State, over a thousand yard uh, yards rushing, and uh, and thirteen touchdowns. To his credit, the air attack for UNLV has been their way that they've moved the ball, and they've done some impressive things. Ricky White has put up video game like numbers. Garrett, Boise State's defense though might be the outlier in this. Uh, which way are you leaning here? Uh, well, we're we're graphics drinking this one. I, I'm taking UNLV. I just don't know how Boise got here. They just don't really feel like they belong here. Um, it it's just kind of weird. I know it was that weird like BCS system type. I was gonna say I'll tell you how they got here. BCS rankings. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe Trey's to blame for this one. I, I just don't know that they belong here. Um, it, it's just kind of a bizarre situation. I think UNLV has the the momentum on their side. 
they have got the care and the program on their side. They've got a coaching staff that's actually going to be back next year. It's just a weird situation. So I'm taking UNLV for a, a litany of reasons in this one. Yeah, Boise State kind of backdoored their way in here, but they finished strong. Like to their credit, they finished the season really strong after a rough start. But UNLV's just been one of the most fun stories in the entire country this year. I think they get it done. They had a uh oh game last week against San Jose State, um, you know, and one that didn't really matter just because they had already kind of locked up their placement here with the tiebreaker rules. But I think they get back on track uh, this week beat Boise State, and they're going to set themselves up for a nice bowl game, maybe against someone from the Pac-12. True. I, I believe, had Boise State lost, I think UNLV and San Jose State would have had to turn right around. They would have, yep. And yeah, and, and played this week as well, which would have been hilarious. So who knows how Barry Odom was coaching that game, like, with that in mind. <laughs> like, who knows? Uh, Ricky White, as I mentioned, 75 catches and even 1,300 yards, seven touchdowns. Boise State's pass defense ranks 117th in the country. I think it is way too it. much of the, the air game for the running Rebs in this one. So I'll take UNLV to win this at home. Final game, Sunbelt Championship, App State at Troy. Troy, six-point favorites when we took the line Saturday afternoon. It is in Troy, Alabama. Guys, I think this is the Gunnar Watson show throwing a, a Jabari uh, Parker 60 times that connection was made this year for almost 900 yards and five touchdowns. Troy's defense, certainly the calling card that most people know the Trojans for, but the offense picked it up down the stretch as well. I'm going to ride with the boys from Alabama in this one. I'm right there with you. Take the home team, Troy, and I think they're going to put up quite a few points on Appalachian State. Yeah, man, three for three, very good defense, playing at home. Also, lots of credit to Kamani Vidal. He's having a fantastic season. You got to give him his credit. So, uh, look, this is just the better team. I'm going to go with the better team at home. Congratulations to App State on winning now that we've all picked <laughs> Troy. Uh, with that, folks, uh, that that is uh, going to do it for us here on the Championship Week preview show. We would love to have you in the live show Saturday evening. The last live show uh, for a full weekend of college football. We'll still have... Plenty of content coming out. We want to move towards more live shows as well. You guys absolutely showed out in the last one. We'd love to have you come talk ball with us this Saturday night. Also, we will be reacting to the playoff rankings on Sunday afternoon. So pay attention to our Twitter and Instagram account at 3TechPod. We'll tweet out when we're going live with the links to the YouTube page for that as well. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Until next time. So long, everybody. Gracious, yeah. How about that?